Welcome back to Yorkshire Grit. Today, we're really lucky to be joined by a guy called James Dunn. James, thanks for coming today. Pleasure, man. Got your email and I thought, do you know what? I've actually been waiting to speak to someone. Obviously, I started doing this with Dr. Tom, who was a clinical psychologist, but it's been a while since I've actually done an episode on mental health again, and specifically someone who's got, you know, expertise in it. So it's really good to have you here. Thanks for coming over. Appreciate it. You have set up your own company that's really successful called Over Overthought. Is that right? Yeah. Overoverthought.co.uk. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the meaning behind that. The name is about um, working with people who have anxiety issues, uh, OCD, which I've done in different guises for over a decade now, although my company is just two years old and uh, I'm still a recovery worker as well, you know, needing the stability of that, of that job. So I work two jobs and um, some people will even back away from the term anxiety. They aren't really fond of owning up to anxiety. Not many, but a few. But anyone who is an overthinker will not deny that. You know, when you're going to bed on a night and you're in your head for two and a half hours prior to sleep. Why is it always at night in bed? Do you know, I work with people who, many times I've heard this, dread going to bed. Yeah. Because it's just... Uh, da, 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 I think it was it last night or the night before, I was thinking back to an incident six years ago that has no meaning to my life now. And it would it was cringing me out thinking about this incident and I would think about, and then you would spiral. You only think about, it's like almost the, the period of when you get into bed, you scroll for a bit, you're on your phone, TV, I have to sleep with something on, I love white noise. But, the, but then... Once you put the phone down and it is just you, that's when, unfortunately for me, it is just things like, oh, what was I thinking about? Hang on, let me think. I think a lot of it is going back to when I used to use yeah. cocaine and a lot of the guilt associated with that and some of the situations that I ended up being with that. It's rare that when you are trying to get to sleep at night, well, for me, you think of like, achievements you seem to just pull yourself apart don't you yeah it's weird and you don't you know you don't venture into the things you've got right dear do you know what i mean that's more of a cocaine conversation in itself you know how you performed in year 10 sports day or something like that in it, yeah mate, yeah do you know yeah what i mean casting it right back there but i think it can throw anything at you and i think that's the thing about your brain i'm talking about can throw anything at you and i think that's why with meditation to me there's different types of meditation of course there is but the meditation that's always been successful for, for me and that I advocate is sitting there cross-legged and like kind of open the floodgates mm. and you don't know what's going to come out. You know, it's like Trapdoor, that uh, that show from years ago. I don't know if you remember it showing my age now, I'm in my 40s, man. But um, you don't know what's going to appear from it. Yeah. You don't know what monsters, if you like, are going to surface. And um, the beauty of it is the rules are all the same. So say whether you sat down meditating and you could think anything from my ass is a bit numb, to buy a messed that up at school, didn't I, that relationship, to why am I getting guilty about this, to there's a bit of tension with that colleague. Because it's hard to concentrate to meditate because you end up, to concentrate, I end up thinking about the breathing or yeah. I end up thinking about trying to think about the think. I don't know how someone gets to a state of enlightenment where you just don't think. I think that would almost be impossible, but that's the holy grail, isn't it? I mean, there's different types of brains, isn't there? Something that, you know, just... 
I mean, yeah, meditation's about letting it all in, but something that, that always gets me is now and again you get someone who will write on social media, the kids are out, got the house to myself, glass of wine, candlelit bath, mm. absolute bliss. Yeah. Now, to the busy-brained person, yeah. and I've had this conversation many times, they're like, bubble bath, candles, nothing going on in the background, that's just a chance to overthink. I can't stay in a bath for more than 10 minutes. Busy brain. Do you know what? I think it's getting worse. I, yeah. Always have to have something on. Always. As soon as I walk down to the front room on the morning, don't know if anyone else is the same who's listening. I always have to have something on TV on. Sky Sports News on in the background. Always. Then I have to work in a cafe, ring people. But I live on my own. I, I work on my own. So it's not like I've got a family or I've got an office. So when it gets to 5pm, you're like, oh, fuck, I, I just want to be on my own. I'm the opposite. I actually want to be with people. Extroverted, bro. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I get energy off people. Yeah. And it's good self-knowledge, that, isn't it? Because if you're just on your own, for a 34-year-old, right, who used to compete in cycling, who has got an addictive, you know, to be on your own, well, the devil makes work for idle hands. Good for it, isn't it? Is it? And it's true because, you know, the whole working from home thing since COVID is, you know, it's not good for you. And as soon as I go to the cafe and I might talk to someone or I might see someone, all my thoughts of negativity go for that brief period like a cloud that's just separated in the sky. And I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, oh, I'm engaging. I'm, I'm talking to someone. Even just went to the bike shop earlier to take my wheel in. You know, all of a sudden you have to kind of like talk to someone. You know what I mean? But if you're on your own all the time, uh, you know, it's just... Be, it, what I'm saying there is not reinventing the wheel, is it, fucking hell? No. <laughs> it's, it's obvious as fuck. I mean, coming back to what I was saying about meditation, so it's that from what you've highlighted there, the interesting thing to me would be speaking to you, like, Tommy, what's to gain mm. from you sitting down, as I said, kind of letting it go, seeing what your head comes up with, with the rule, as I was saying before, whether you, you, you're uncomfortable in your position, you've tried to get as comfy as you can, but your brain's nagging away, saying you're not quite comfortable, whatever, um, whether whatever's been thrown at you by your head, and it can be anything. That's a mental health lesson in itself, to just treat it all the same. And that's all right. Weather they comes are, in. Yeah. They are just thoughts. Yeah. And if you've got these thoughts kind of going around your head, right, and you're not engaging with them, then... Well, if, if you're not following those thoughts, like people do with develop anxiety issues, then what's watching those thoughts? What's observing them? Because that part that's observing them, them thoughts, can it grow? What happens if it grows? And of course, it's what we're here for. To what benefit is that to grow? Do you know what I mean? To harness that, some people would call it like yourself, but what I'm talking about is an ability to disengage from thoughts that otherwise would take you away like waltzes. So let's make this cycling oriented for a second. Yeah, go for it. Because I know cyclists, sports people, runners will suffer with anxiety, will suffer with confidence, not thinking they're good enough, not thinking they're thin enough, not thinking they're fit enough. You know, it's, it's an incredibly unforgiving sport where one bad result, you think you're the worst. You won't speak to someone for two days, you know, if you, if you get dropped on a training ride, suicidal, how would you remain mentally resilient in situations where despair is, you know, where despair is playing a large part in cycling? 
I would be accepting of that. When you were talking then, providing those examples then, all I can think in my head is that's driven people. Oh, yeah. And if you're, if you're that driven, right, you find me someone that driven who doesn't suffer with low mood. Because if you've got a race car between your ears, you need the racetrack to go with it. And that isn't just about cycling, you know what I mean? That's in life. If you've got that busy brain, yeah. you need to find forum for that brain to do its thing. So I would be very accepting of, yeah, this is me. But also then the question is, how good can you be at turning off? And I wonder what, and then can you turn off in a healthy way? Not just booze and alcohol. Yeah, know. exactly. So um, it's finding, it is like kind of finding that balance. Not beating yourself up for being, I mean, depression to me is, I'm, I always say I'm an OCD specialist, anxiety specialist. That's foremost what I say in my private practice. But I always do a little kind of low mood slash depression lesson. Um, it's probably the second thing I do when I'm working with clients. And I'm looking for ambition. So if I'm working with someone who I can see is fiercely ambitious, I know there's going to be low mood around there. Because if something occurs, should it be locked down? They lose that career that was mm. they were flying in. How can a person who wants the world and believes they can get it be okay when that's taken away from them? And that can explain a lot of low mood depression. Joe Rogan podcast, a really interesting one, an example I always use. Guy, I believe he's called Henry Rollins, he was in a really successful band. And he's on a, he does spoken word poetry now. And he was explaining to Joe Rogan how he if he's at home for like more than I think he said three or four days, it feels like killing himself. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And so what he does is he like, he takes himself to like, it, I, I, you know, I hope I'm not slaying this because it's many years ago that I heard this. He literally look around the world to see where, where where's it kicking off, like kind of around the planet. And then he'll take himself to this charged environment mm. where there's a crackle in the air, if you like. And he says, I feel alive again. And I might do a bit of work. I'll speak to people. Yeah. And I'm looking at that thinking, that is, that is a depressive guy, but that's also a guy who's going to place himself in situations. I mean, this this was a guy who, whenever whoever else was out doing drugs in the band, mm. he was just working out feverishly. But is is everyone not depressed? Because I I would say now, everyone seems fucked now at the moment. <laughs> uh, Every, everyone, everyone is struggling, and the people who put up on Instagram smiling self you know they're the ones who i think are struggling the most you know i'm not confident enough to do that but like dating now is incredibly hard the dating scene is so oh, just nihilistic what do you mean by nihilistic purely based on how you look and just i don't know i'm chatting shit but it seems that social media again is I went on a walk on Sunday and a friend of mine said, if it wasn't for social media, I think I would feel better about myself. And you're nodding. Yeah. It's the intensity in it. And I've deleted TikTok. I've deleted Facebook. I have Instagram, WhatsApp. If it wasn't for this podcast, Instagram would have gone. And I've flirted with deleting it a lot. I feel the same about Facebook and my own business, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Because we only do post positives you don't post in a traffic jam you don't post waiting in a doctor's surgery waiting for your name to be called 
because that's not exciting. You don't post queuing in the supermarket. You don't post thinking, how am I going to send this letter? Second class, first class. You don't post on the toilet because they are mundane, average things. So it's set up to fail in my eyes because you're only posting things which are you want people to see and other you know and it makes it kind of um unsustainable like an unrealistic kind of echo chamber of echo chamber. delicious teas and holiday pics echo chamber is a really good term and the happiest people are the people who don't have it yeah mom be the people who are the happiest are the motherfuckers who don't have it who were like why are you on your phone tom yeah but all my mates back home don't really use it. Interesting. And the happy dudes. All my mates back home, scaffolders, you know, da, 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 don't use it. Come to Leeds. All the cyclists, everyone's got it. Isn't that weird? I don't find it weird because you've already described some of those cyclists, right? Driven. Want to be and known. And they are driven. Want, yes. And, and that brain, I mean, they... Every cyclist has it. Yeah. Every cyclist has Instagram. Go back home, normal lads, don't have it. You see, you can you can see an extension of it, can't you? Kind of like, you know, you can see how the gene pool of, well, just you follow your example. You can see how the gene has survived that makes the great cyclist or athlete, can't you? That's an easy thing to see, isn't it? Historically, I'm talking about. Killers, like James well, Bond types, just well, ruthless. Well, people who just push themselves. I often think when, um, I listened to a podcast the other day about this chaotic footballer. It was just had like you know stole the physio's car, stole another chairman's car, and I was thinking like how do those genes survive? But if you think about it to like back in prehistorical times and the, the tribes hungry or they want a tree, who was going to be the one who was going to climb the massive tree to get the beehive? So that's what being driven and doing a sport like running, cycling. Because let's be honest, if you play football two or three twice a week for forty five minutes, or you go to a gym, that's normal. Rugby, I think they, they train once on during the week and they play on the weekend. But cycling, watched that film last night, Air, about Air Jordans with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Ben Affleck tries to describe running. And he goes, it's not fun. It's awful. It's just, just the process of running is running. Just the hardship. Knowing that you're going to get up out of bed and do it. That is is the achievement. Now, the same with, with cycling. It's not exactly... You said to the average person, I'm going to do 30 miles today, or 40 miles, they'll probably go, what the fuck? Like, are you all right? Let alone 60, 70, 80, 90. So I do get what you're saying there. You have to be a select, but that doesn't come without its... Well, yeah, we're, we're talking about problem there, and it's if we to we start to move on to explore solution... Um, I guess you'd, you'd expand a second for talking about how um, how hard it is to fit that person in modern life with that brain that's... Do you know what I mean? It's That's going to be hard with numerous ways for your brain, numerous things, bright lights, distractions, chats to have with that brain. And then you're going into all these things or the potential to go into all these things. And, you know, the question comes, at what cost to your mental health? So... One rule you can have is like, say if, if you're, you know, you're, you're a hell of a cyclist, you're caught up, you're addicted to social media, you, you've, you've labelled yourself with an addictive personality and to bring back the point on meditation, but you are making yourself sit there and you are feeling all them wants hmm. to partake in something else 
but you are cultivating within your mind a way not to engage in that. So instead of all these thoughts and wants and desires and feelings that you want to act upon, instead of those taking you and spinning you away, I was said before, but I always use the example of waltzes at the fairground, you know, then things will spin you till you're sick. And, it, you know, the, the analogy kind of holds. Try and not let those thoughts be like waltzes, but try and let them be like, say you're in a restaurant, right? And, you, and, you, and you're waiting for your meal and you're just on your own and you're watching a fish tank and you're just watching the movement of all the fish. If you can not be the waltzers, but be the fish tank, so the thoughts and everything else mm. are just the fish, and there's glass between you, and all you can do is you can just watch those thoughts now. What are you building there? And you may be building a better relationship with yourself, a better relationship with uncomfortable urges and wants. And if a lot of these thoughts like lead you to bad places, social media's bad desires in your head thoughts you don't want intrusive thoughts what we'll get to if a lot of those if a lot of these thoughts kind of um in our head uh bring us down but we let them be there we encourage them to be there but then we don't act on them so they aren't taking us away anymore then we're in essence getting better at the bad shit because the bad shit's there but we're not reacting to it and i always say to my clients if the bad shit can't get you, what else is going to get you? Yeah, if the man's bulletproof. Mm. But it's a practice. It's what I say. And what I'm talking about is that magical word in mental health treatment, acceptance. So all these thoughts are coming there. Instead of engaging with them, you just do whatever they're trying to lure you in. This is boring. Go do something else. You messed that up. You're not as attractive as you used to be, whatever just it might thought. be. It's just a thought. So practice acceptance. But the thing about acceptance is it's not a, it's not a switch. It's a martial art. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You need to practice it like a martial art. But then there is the gain. It's like in sports. It's interesting. I was working with a, a good sports person recently, one of the best young golfers, certainly, you know, well, probably in England. And um, we were talking about really good golfers that he knows. And I was getting him to, like, describe, I don't know anything about golf, but I'm interested, you know, I'm interested in any high-level performance like that. And um, he was talking about, you know, his game and, and then his peers and the people that are around him, his rivals, if you like. Yeah. And he said, one lad is not as good as us, but he turns up and he don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> and he outperforms us and he's yeah. not got our game. But he, he literally, we see him chatting before he takes shots, you know, where we're in our head. Yeah. You know, running through it again and again. And this lad doesn't give a shit. He turns on when he needs to. And how could you describe that? Like you could say he's just dead chill, you know, to match the talent that he's got. But... That guy unlocks himself from not giving a shit. So he achieves his full potential. So I would say the challenge to be is to be the, you, you can't help being the driven person that you obviously are, you know, from what you've achieved and everything else, but also to take upon the challenge to know that there's good sides, brilliant sides to being driven, but there's bad sides, there's dark sides to it about where you can go. Which we've, we've, I'd say there's more dark. Yeah, oh, I'd agree. Which we, you know, sometimes you, it's like, I, I've got the busy brain. I've got mm. really bad ADHD. Mm. Um, and, you know, sometimes, I, you know, if reincarnation's real, sometimes I wonder if I can be the person who comes back for the candlelit bath and just slips into bliss. I'd love to be that person who can just... But, but you see, people who say can this. Who queue at a in the supermarket and not get angry or the person who can just be placid. Would you say placid though, or would you just say, would you like use the term because it's the doctrine I, I work towards? Would you say just be mindful? Do you know what I mean? 
because that's the challenge, isn't it? To be to be mindful because you're not going to lose. You're not going to lose the the kick. You're not going to lose the drive. I got some really bad news last Wednesday, and I've been pinning a lot on this thing, and I was certain it was coming off, and I got this. I found out this thing wasn't going to come off. And I rang my mum, because that's what I do, even though I'm 34, I still ring my mum. Not wrong with that. Burst into tears, angry, self-deprecating, you know, I was just distraught. And she said, the first thing she said is, why can't you just be like Simon and James? Wouldn't have bothered them. They'd have gone, yeah, so, you know, move on. I was like, that's just not me. There's no way I can ever, like Kipling's poem, If, if you can treat triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters, like, that ain't me. You know what I mean? I can't do that. I dare say you'd be able to get, like I said, the good, what you want is you want the good parts have been driven and then you want to try and kind of nullify the bad bits. And to nullify the bad bits, it's about kind of, um, it's about accepting them and doing what you can. Like another, what I'm talking about here, like, self-kindness, self-love, because people mention, you've got to love yourself. Does anyone ever tell you how to do it? No. What's the tech of self-love? What is it? It's a great question and one that I am, believe it, believe me, in my uh, Being happy in your own skin, little isn't it? notes that I write and stuff. Surely um, it's got to be happy in your own skin. Be happy in your own skin, but again, what's the tech of that? <laughs> self-love to me would be um, not caring. Yeah. Even, not... Caring about people's opinions. Yeah, but this is the thing about not caring, right? You're always going to care about some stuff. Do you know what I mean? You're always going to love love your mum. You're always going to, you know, want to win, stuff like that. But then the key is, what are you caring about that you just don't need to anymore? And that is the story of OCD and chronic anxiety. Caring about the, the stories that I've heard. But I mean... You know, sorry, I cut you off then, but keep going. But it's it's trying to not care about things. Big part of, of self-love, of well-being, finding it, developing it. So you can be that merge of I'm driven, but I know how to kind of rein myself in. I wonder if, like Lennox Lewis, for instance, some a lot of boxers don't sleep before the fight, don't mm. sleep the night before the fight. They used to have to wake Lennox Lewis up at the stadium he used to fancy, oh, I'll just have 20 minutes. Yeah. And they'd like, we're literally going to have to wake him up to do pads. And he's beat every man he ever set foot in the ring with, didn't he? He married that ability with that chill to great, you know, to great success. But again, how do you do it? And it's a practice. Uh, and you know what kind of turns the dial up on it? If the childhood hasn't been perfect for a lot of people, it becomes harder. Mm. The dial, trauma turns the dial up. It's almost like anyone who is driven, it's like a point to prove. It's, you know, what are you proving? What is it that's not fulfilled here? What are you searching for here that hasn't quite, that doesn't make you feel whole? Does that make sense? It does. Could you not just be avoiding low mood? Everything is it not in our essence to rock life in that way? Because everything if we're don't, talking about here, drugs, alcohol, you know, a point to prove not being settled with what you've got. I think there's something, yeah, why would you, hmm, it's interesting. Why do you, why do we keep fit? Cannabinoids. 
What? You know the high you get, oh God, you'll know this, the, that high you get after yeah. a, it was thought, and I'm sure the, the player part, I'm, obviously this is far from my area, but people always thought that that was like endorphins, mm. neurotransmitters, the runner's high. I think they found out it's cannabinoids. It's natural cannabinoids. Is it not to do with like self-sacrifice? I'm talking the actual feeling that, uh, see when I've, I've done a lot of different exercises and running to me is the buzziest thing mm. after you've had a run. You feel like shit. You feel a bit better. You feel a bit better. You feel a bit better. Yeah, you start yeah. climbing. Um, definitely the buzziest exercise I've ever done. Yeah, but I mean, obviously you've got to be the person who wants to do that as well. And then some people want to be the best at that. Because to exercise, you know, everything now, everything on social media is you got to put the work in, man. Fucking man. You got to be grinding, man. You got to be. Ice bath, motherfucker. You got to be hitting that gym. You know, all this bullshit. And it is bullshit. It is absolute crap. These people who get up at 4 a.m., 3 a.m., yeah. journal. You know, right, don't tell us about it and do it. Take a picture Take a picture of the watch, put it on social media. Take a picture. 20 past four. 20 past, don't tell us about it and try and do it. That gets to me. That really kind of find toxic, this grind culture of... If anything is worth anything, you have to grind in the gym. You know, that is the epitome of success is you're grinding. You, you, you put, which, you know, I do get it to a degree, but do a fuck. What's better than that? What, what, what's the level up from that? Caring for people. Can you marry the two? Loving. Is what you're saying that that's not. Loving people. That's not out there in the zeitgeist kind of as a, as a thing hung, hung up for us to try and move towards. When for a, Coffee on Sunday, sat down, and these two elderly couples sat next to me. And you could tell they'd been doing that the whole life. They didn't really have much to talk about. And the guy said, where have you been, lad? And just, so I said, I've been here, I've been there, da 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 da, da. We got chatting, he was an electrical engineer, he lives in Australia for a bit. She'd never worked, they had two two kids. We ended up chatting, da da da, da. I went into the coffee, and I said to the guy behind the car, I said, look, can I pay for theirs? Paid for theirs, came out, said goodbye. Didn't tell them. Because I think gestures of kindness, goodwill, and loving is, your question to me then was, what's more important than grinding in the gym? Or trying to, you know, get X amount of followers on Instagram, which, which some deluded people think is success. Blue ticks, you know, Came up my thing the other day. Do you want a blue tick? Do you want to buy a blue tick? Where I was like, not a chance, not a fucking chance. So it was like a badge of dishonor or something. Badge like of that. dishonor. Yeah. You know, I don't. Why would I want that? See it as a trap. If anyone was to recommend this podcast, or if this podcast was to be verified, be verified by the fucking listeners. Someone fucking listening, saying it's, it's great. I don't need a badge. It's just a form of hierarchy yeah it's <laughs> surfacey isn't it it's surfacey oh it's grim so to get back to your question being there for someone when they're crying picking someone up when they're not doing well when everyone else has abandoned them when everyone else has fucked you off who stood by your side that to me is that to me is grinding. Do you know the thing what about, about it is, a, What about a mother who's struggling, 
who has to work, come back, can't afford. That's that to me is grinding. So we've just mentioned like the grind in the gym and the natural cannabinoids and nandamide, I think is the central one that gives you that buzz after. But really what we're talking about here, like, you know, we've spoke about it kind of from the other side and what's more important, but let's not pretend that that doesn't come with the most massive of buzzes anyway. I'm not saying it's why you do it, but the feeling you get from doing right is such a feeling. I always remember I was looking out my window, living in my little flat in York. I was looking out the window and there was this man, he must have, he looked, he looked 90 and he was really struggling. He was holding on to the wooden kind of fence um, and he was, I thought, this ain't going to make it. And I had something else to do. God, it'd be better for the story if I could remember. I can't. I had something really pressing that I needed to do. And for that minute, I was like, what do I do? Am I going to go and help the old man? Yeah. Or am I going to do what I need to do? And I thought, well, there's only one decision to make. And obviously, you know, I've made the right one. So I've gone out and I've said, and, and, and you're a bit anxious, aren't you? So I'm like, do you want some help? You don't know what he's going to say. And he went, oh yes, that'd be fantastic when he needed it. Do you know what I mean? And I basically, it was a funny story because I basically carried him about 400, I didn't carry him, but like it was, I was heavily supporting him, like kind of 400 yards or something around the corner. Yeah, good on you. And he was telling me he was, um, he was he played in the in a band through the war. He, he did his service, but he played in a band as well. And I always remember because there's me being the, you know, quote unquote hero. And I had to be like, I had to be, a little bit of a twat with it because I said who are you going to see and he went I'm going to see um a lady friend of mine and I went is she a girlfriend and he went yes you know what I mean and I just thought like you know what I mean for a second there so this guy's kind of he must have been I think he told me I think he was like 87 or something like that and the woman he was going to see was obviously of a similar age mm. and um what I'm saying is the feeling after that it stays with you doesn't it it's not like the dopamine that dissipates like the fading firework it that those feelings stay with you and they they let you know the way don't they yes you've come yeah you feel good about yourself you feel like you've done some good i would totally agree with that you feel like you've helped someone and that you've done a bit of good other than just you know some more aimless self-promotion which is you know what i mean wouldn't it be lovely to kind of uh, advocate that and get back for it? And people won't deny it, man, because you, you talk about what's the best buzz at Christmas receiving or giving. Everyone has the same answer. Everybody likes like investing in something, you know, nailing that present, uh, seeing it the way it's, you know. I remember buying my mum a favourite perfume and she just sobbed and she'd forgot she'd ever told me that that was a favourite mm. perfume. But, it, you know, it took me X amount of years to be able to afford that perfume for my mum. So, um, yeah, man, it's, uh, it is the way, isn't it? We are highlighting the way or one of the key ways. And, um, it's the right thing to do, isn't it? Because I'm a big picture thinker. Wouldn't it be nice if it created some kind of domino effect, kind of tidal wave and, you know, everyone was doing it and everyone was, was advocating the same thing and what difference would it make to the world? Tell us about, you know, you said you wanted to talk about intrusive thoughts, which I found, which was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. In truth, I was thinking, you know, what do I talk about this kind of, um, you know, when I come on and I thought I've got to go with intrusive thoughts. So um, it's always a case of where do you start? So let me describe kind of one, one type of intrusive thought. You're walking over a bridge, your brain quickly murmurs to you, jump in. Mm. Is that normal or unnormal, do you think? Probably normal. Normal. 
Like, so you've got a decision to make. Maybe you don't know it, but at that point, you've got a conscious decision to make because what happens to the person who, when they walk over the bridge, positions themselves nearer the road than the side of the bridge because they're worried? What happens to that person? What happens to the person who, after they've done it a few times, they're not sure if they're safe enough, so now they are, they are actually on the road? What happens to the person who, and I've heard this happen, what happens to the people who run over going, la, 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 to not hear that? They, you see, they're making a, a, a really uh, crucial mistake because with things like that, number one rule is we do not have full control over our brain. So the tech of self-love again, we need to be forgiving, and I mean immediately forgiving, when such thing, I'll use a technical term that I use often here, when such thing like that, a brain fart, when it occurs. Because a lot of mental illness is similar things to that and it spirals. So I'll get to it because you do the wrong thing time and again. And when I say I do the wrong thing, I'm talking about compulsive thinking on compulsive thinking, machine gun, there you go. You're mentally ill, you've got full-fledged OCD. Yeah. So another one is, and I promise you this is so more common and people out there will be probably hearing it. Another one is people worry they're going to hurt people. So they stood near someone. This has happened to me, by the way, this one. Not so much get the bridge one. I've had it a little bit, but... So you stood next to someone and your brain just goes, punch him in the head. Mm. Just whispers it to you. Now, another thing, this might get worse after kind of drug use, come downs, you know, when you've been smashing it, whatever the drug has been, particularly stimulants, and it's kind of loosened your head a bit. So your head's a bit kind of chaotic all over the place. So... um you stood next to someone, your brain murmurs, punch him. You've got a decision to make. Mm. And it's a very important decision for your mental health and your well-being. I remember two conversations I had when I was just getting good at this mental health thing, where one guy I was working with, and he was telling me that um, he'd be with his friends and he'd have thoughts of lashing out at them, you know, just pushing a glass in the face or whatever like that. And this guy would get absolutely terrified. And he'd go and use whatever he could, drink, heroin, to try and dull that down. Because this dude, you see, if you think about it wrongly, this dude thought, is this how, like, serial killers start? Mm. You get a thought in your head there. And the next thing you know, you're is reacting. going to get worse? You're reacting to it, right? And this guy was taking that serious. And people suffer in silence because this guy didn't know about intrusive thoughts. And I was telling you, I was telling you off air, wasn't I, about this, that I've several times in my career sensed that something was going on usually in the drug user i'm working with and what i've done is i've i've gone there started explaining intrusive thoughts and i have watched um use the the, the now term for it roadmen if you like you know I'm, I'm sat with them working with them and they've heard what an intrusive thought is realized it ain't just them and they've folded up mm. in like this this it's like a it's like someone like has changed what to try and describe it like in a postural physical sense. It's like someone's like turned the skeleton a bit to jelly. Yeah. They've spent all, thousands of hours in their head thinking, am I a serial killer? Am yeah. I a murderer? And sexual ones are a big thing as well, particularly towards kids, fleeting thoughts in your yeah. head like that, that you treat wrong. So that was the first of one conversation that always sticks, sticks in my mind. I'd just learned about intrusive thoughts myself. Second conversation I was having, I got a bit cocky, didn't I? I thought there was a lad and he was, he was kind of, he was using a lot of weed. And I thought to myself, I wonder if he's suffering intrusive thoughts, right? And it, it ended up being a big, big lesson to me. 
Because I said to him, I said, your thoughts in your head, man, that nothing to do with you or your values or what you're about. And it just, your brain just speaks it to you. Your brain just speaks that to you. And then you fear you're going to react to it. And he went, no, but go on. And so I elaborated on it and explained it a bit more. And he went, yeah, I get that. He starts laughing. So I'm in a coffee shop talking, doing my work and he starts laughing. I says, what, he was a funny kid. I said, what are you laughing at, man? He goes, I get that all the time. Like, trip a toddler over, kick a granny off a bike. And he just started laughing. Mm. Now, so what them two stories are, that dude, as mad as it sounds, laughing about those little brain farts in his head, that is, voila, that is A1 mental health approach. When those things come up, do not take them seriously. You know they're not in your value base. You can't stop your brain doing them. But what you can do is you can stop your brain doing them more often by just ignoring them. That's, that's, so your head does not register it as important like the first guy who was actively using drugs all the time to thinking he was keeping himself not been or whatever. And very common. And this is another one. And, it, and, it's, and it's a tough conversation, but it shouldn't be really when we're all adults. People worry. And again, this is not uncommon. It really isn't. Like, I'd be surprised if most social circles don't have one person at least like this. Do I fancy kids in that way yeah very common really yeah. yeah i think i've had a couple normally about harming my parents you know just if you're having an argument not an i just i can't remember just like i, I don't get them loads I d you know touch wood mine would be classed as compulsions to use which is similar i suppose you're nailing it man because you say similar but treating them as brain farts as well yeah. Wonderful. What's your thoughts on addiction? Addiction, let's cast it at either side. Do, so you, do you believe it? Do you think it, do you believe it, it? There's such a thing. Well, let me say it like this. Um, yeah, of course I do. I think, it, oh God, this is where my bias comes in. I think it should be taught in school. I think you should have, you know, oh yeah, what, what you got next? What, ne what lesson you got now? Or double addiction. Yeah. Because when you explore addiction, so many other topics fall out of it. And it, I can't think of a single more learned topic than addiction. Yeah. So let's like cast it at either side. Because people just think drugs, don't they? Yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, of course. You can get addicted to washing your hands. I've worked with them. Yeah. So Work, so, anorexia. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, sport. Yeah. I, I know people who are addicted to sport. Yeah, of course. If you were to say to them, you can't run today or you can't train, they would have the same reaction as if you were to take away the drug of choice from someone. Do you know what you see it with? You see it with runners, don't you? You know when it gets really treacherous mm. and it's icy and it's not just regular icy, it's bobbly, icy. And they can't run. Refrozen. You watch and they're how, still you watch, out running. Yeah, you watch how they react. If you were to say, I've seen people on training camps when you get there at like 10 at night, 11 at night, midnight, you still want to go out because they missed a day. Tell me that's not normal, do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course it isn't, yeah. And, and of course the question is to what cost? Because the needle's pushing that far into the red. I bet there's disbalance in other aspects of life. So have you heard of Gabor Mate? He's Love him. Yeah. Absolutely love that guy. Very intelligent guy, isn't he? Would um, love to meet him. He, his thing is, is, all addiction is just like trauma control. Yeah. So that's what it is. So, and, and in the field, when I first started doing my job, the, the office at the time, what I walked into was like, it was quite debated a lot because at the other end, we, we could say at the other end of the spectrum. So you got you Gabor Mate, it's all pain relief. At the other end of the spectrum is it runs in families. You have a disease. You've got to be, kind of, a lot of people will say that, you know, the, the AA model it's or a disease, yeah. NA model. And you have a propensity to this and you can't do any mm. or you lose it. 
Now, people will debate which of them they favour. Um, obviously, come on, we know this, there's truth in both. Because uh, Gabor, what's his name again? Gabor Mate. He believes that it's all to do with trauma as a child. Yeah. And when you're born, you have to be loved. Don't you? Yeah. You have to be. Babies One, die if they're not cuddled, don't they? Yes. 100% nurtured. Like the monkeys, if they're outcast, you have to be nurtured, wanted. Because if not, the relationship between addiction, suicide, the relationship between that and childhood trauma is literally, it goes hand in hand, doesn't it? Well, heroin and it's childhood the, trauma is, is the one. That it's off the scale, mind. isn't it? Yeah. If you've been abused as a child... Yeah, that literally is. You know, you know, you probably are going to be. Do you know I don't agree with him though? Well, do you know I don't agree with him because I've worked with that many people with OCD, and you can have the most wonderful past, idyllic childhood if you've got that ferocious, busy brain that literally is five times quicker, five times louder, and they are wonderful brains that can achieve a lot when you do the right thing with them. However, I've worked with so many people. If you say we're talking about the intrusive thought thing there, mm. it doesn't matter where the childhood traumas are. Although, as I said before, it will turn the dial up. Trauma will always turn dials up, right? So you get more of a propensity for Ill, mental ill health. But if you take the wrong move with those intrusive thoughts, if you, if you start believing those brain fats, right? If you, coming back to the kid thing, right? If you, and like, so you're like, oh, you know, Paedophilia is the worst thing in the world, and it? it's it's horrible, horrible, worst thing in the world, terrible, isn't it? Why am I thinking about paedophilia? Mm. That's how it can start. I'm thinking about it again. Is hang on, is this how paedophiles start? I'm, That'd be scary. I'm if not you started thinking like so. That, yeah. th this is common, and people who it's nothing. They would be the last people to do it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I've worked with a lot of people, so you convince, and then you start saying you start looking for reasons why you're not. So I've never fancied kids. I've never fancied kids. And you literally, but the more you try to avoid something, the more your brain will register it as important, the more likely it's going to come back. So you know you get you, you get better at bad things as well as good things. You know, if you practice something bad, you'll get better at it. You, you, you're digging yourself into mental illness. And there's a massive correlation, certainly I've seen in my work, with OCD and alcoholism for a start. Busy brain, you know, put a load of alcohol down yourself to give you, and I'm talking between like, I've had the numbers I've had, Four minutes and 35 for years were the biggest number I've heard that the alcohol gave relief for the thoughts that are coming again and again. So he'll say addiction's all that. But what I'll say is, I don't think he knows OCD well enough, personally. Well, and I'll be honest, I know, I know it's the case. So um, the question is, what do we do to those people who have that busy brain? And we educate them from early around things like intrusive thoughts because, and I've had this moment, and it's probably one of the most like nice things and nice compact little interventions that I can do. So people worry that they're paedophiles when they're not paedophiles, right? And here's, here's the kind of punchline to it. Do you think there's a load of horrible, vile people now that are somewhere part of a grooming gang that have got underage people doing horrible shit? Do you think one of them that willfully takes part in it is going to stand up in the middle of what they're doing and go, lads, I'm, oh, wor yeah, I'm worried. Point. I'm worried that we're paedophiles. Yeah, yeah. And I have said that line to people, right? Women as well. You know, it's it's not just men, and they have literally that they've said to me that moment changed my life. Yeah, because, because it, I thought, the, it makes God, you realise you're not. That, you're just, yeah, but it's the same as if you stand near a cliff. You just you think about jumping off. It's exactly off. the same. Yeah, isn't it? It's called something. What's it called? 
ego dis something where you like want to just you know if you see a train it's another example you, I use you know, yeah yeah you just think I wonder what that you know what that. <laughs> yeah so it's what 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 do you follow in your brain nothing will dictate the quality of your life to what you follow in your brain so the question is how do you know what to follow I listened to one of the podcasts and you're talking about typical kind of masculine traits mm. and that is obviously something in society that we will find the need to pursue and follow do you know what you can kind of bypass that there's a way you can do it if i was to say to you now and it's kind of an intervention in itself god for all, all your i could even suggest maybe for your listeners now if you were to obviously you've got the ability to pause this podcast if you were to think the things you admire most in people yeah so if we if you were to make a collective of the things you love just about your mates or grandparents mm. or even icons or anything like that if you pick out those traits you love in other people and you list them guess what that's your values the reason they're on pedestals it's because what you want it's what you want but asking them about other people is a trickier way than doing it if i said to you now tell me your values we joke me and my mates we call them v's you know what i mean and you know what are your values but it's crucially important because if you know what your values are so if you pause that at the right point and you wrote those things down that's what you're about now you need to, your actions need to move in accordance with those values mm. and when i'm working with people for ocd i'll be like i don't see anything on there about being worried sick all the time planning conversations you're having in your head to avoid an awkward situation in the office that is entirely a figment of your imagination mm. or it's just a natural part of life that you just have to ride with and not try and avoid so you've got to live by those values and doing that is a massive road to kind of mental health at the guide you I don't like busy places. Can't do busy or loud. Find that hard. Sensitive person. But then at a football match, I'm all right. It's interesting, isn't it? Do you, know we don't, do you know what? We don't need to. That's a wonderful example. I love that. I love that. We don't. Life doesn't need to make sense. Drug users love using drugs. They really enjoy their drug of choice. The more of their drug of choice they do, the sadder they get. Does that seem to make sense? The more of they do what they like, the sadder they get. Life doesn't need to make sense like that. Do you know what I mean? But what you need to do is you need to make it make sense for you. So taking that example for you, you can say that like, I can't, what's wrong with me? I, I can't stand a, a, a bustling supermarket, but I can roar on a terrace. Yeah. What's wrong with me? But that's where the self-kindness comes in again. That's just real to you. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And you just need to, if you start thinking you're a bit kind of, um, there's, there's, there's a schism in there. If you start thinking that, then what good's going to come of that? Do you know what I mean? So you have to just realize that you make that. So that is you, that is a unique package of you. Hi, I can handle this and not this, but that's all cool, isn't it? Maybe because at a football stadium, you can be expressive. You can shout, but in a supermarket, you have to, you know, be quiet. Unless you're my two-year-old, mate. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? You have <laughs> yeah. to kind of adhere to the rules and stuff. But, you know, addiction is cruel. It's, it's the same thing again and again, which is hell. Same being addicted to your own avoidant thoughts in your head. Like yeah, getting negative thought pattern. Yeah. Not thinking you're worthy. Not thinking you, you know, my, I did therapy for a bit recently again, and my, um, all she would go on about every time is, God, you've got to be stop being so hard on yourself. You have got to stop. But I'm just so used to it. 
I'm not good for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's tough, isn't it? Because again, how can you achieve things without that desire? Yeah. So I think what you need to do is, I'll, I'll say it, people like us, we need to learn some rules that we adhere to, to try and just, just, just to make that better for ourselves. Mm. As I said, we're never going to lose the drive, but the tech of self-love and the tech of being kind to yourself is tricky. There's many ways to explore it. You need to explore it with a good worker, or if you can't get a good worker, you know, I'm a big, although, you know, it do me out of a living. I'm a big advocate of self-help because, you know, you can bounce around YouTube channels, find someone who's knocking it out of the park. The, the, one of the most influential people to me was a guy called Mark Freeman, a Canadian OCD expert. And the way he explained OCD, I was like, I already understood addiction from doing my job for the first few years. But he explained OCD to me. I was like, it's just another addiction. So I started seeing these patterns, you see, that things move in these said patterns. So how do you stop being addicted? If anyone's listening at the moment who thinks they are getting addicted to something. Let me think of an example. If you want it, OCD and you're getting addicted to checking the door on a night, mm -hmm. you know, check the door 50, 100 times on a night. Again, not uncommon, one of the more common ones. Well, you need to get good with the feeling of wanting to check the door and not checking it. That's what you need to do. You need to make friends, change your relationship with that uncertain, big word that in mental health, uncertainty. You have to change your relationship with that feeling because if you make friends with that feeling, just like craving, I remember once working with a crack user and craving crack was just absolutely destroying his life. Just craving it? Cra well, well, and then endlessly using. So I got him to kind of explore the... Um, I said, what's your craving feel like? He goes, oh, they're horrible, man. They never leave me. I was like, no, what's it like? What's it? What's your craving like? He was looking at me like, this is a man who's had work for years and years on it. Where do you feel it? Where does, in your body, in your head, where do you feel that craving for crack cocaine? And he like looked at me like, this was totally new to him. Like he'd never thought of it like that. How so, long had he been doing it for? Oh, 20 years. So the next- Daily? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, on and off as in, in and out of prison and, and such like, and a wonderful guy, by the way, a lovely person, all the ambition in the world to do the right things. So at that point then he left the place excited, thinking, well, next time I start craving crack i'm actually i'm going to actually sit down and answer a few questions where do i feel this i'm going to actually go in on it rather than kind of just freak out Act on it yeah because even if acting on it, it's like oh no i'm craving crack again and it's been my downfall that's just going to make you want to pipe more in it you know being like cruel to yourself but if you can go this is me craving it's craving crack again interest my first ever lesson in addiction my dear grandfather who was like who died when I was 11, great step-grandfather, you know, since changed my name to his. I remember, I still remember, you know, like you do important memories. I still remember seeing him now sat in his chair with a, a, a smile on his face. I'd never seen that smile on his face. And I said to him, what are you smiling at, granddad? And he went, I really, really could murder a cigarette today. Mm. And I went, granddad, but you don't smoke. And he went, but I used to, I used to smoke 40 a day when I was a young man. And I've not thought about it for years. And today I've just woke up and I'm craving a cigarette. And he had this smile on his face. That is A1 way to handle a craving. He was amused by it. He was feeling it. It was telling him he'd like the taste of a cigarette and the feel of a cigarette. He was laughing at it. But he was laughing about it. So if you can do that rather than freak out that you're going to get this thing. You, no, it's the gonna, end of your life. You're going to get cravings. Like, just like if you have your lights, if you have some electric work done at your house and you have the light switch put on the other side of the door, how many times you're going to reach to the wrong side of the door? 
Yeah, wouldn't it be nice if you could just pull yourself out of yourself? Just go, it's just a craving. Just a craving, yeah. It's not going to make any difference. And explore it, yeah. Make friends with it. It's not going to make any difference. It's just something that's coming to say hello. Yeah, that would be interesting. Just to go, yep, it's just... And it can apply as well to like what I said about meditation. All them thoughts, same thing, thought. And they don't last long, do they, cravings? No, people report them like, yeah, 20 minutes, minutes, I always hear. 11, 20, 12 minutes, something like that. Something like that, yeah. Which, and if you think about it, so imagine surviving that for what it means to people in sobriety. Do you know, to get to that, riding out of 20 minutes to get to everything sobriety might bring. Because people are addicted to stuff, drug users, and even people addicted to their own avoidant thoughts and thinking patterns in OCD. Some of the most wonderful, sensitive, caring, Mm. lovely, busy brained, potential full people you can ever meet, which makes my job great. Yeah. Don't get that many people. You don't, very rare in this game, do you work with someone and you think you're a dick? You just don't, because these are sensitive, lovely people. But the cost of taking a lot in, they need some rules to kind of govern that. You know, the likes of which we mentioned, living to your values, mindful practice, a meditation practice. I work in the sense of, re- I call it like my kind of recovery mantras. It's something that I've developed. I'm not saying I've developed it on my own. I'm sure other people have come up with the same idea, same time, or very similar. But it's what do you tell yourself to stop you engaging in that thought pattern that has been destroying your life, whether it's to use or whether it's to check the door, to go back to the OCD example. What do you tell yourself that is is a beautifully crafted phrase in your head that you use to keep you away from that? And everyone has a different one. One of the most interesting things to my job. So when I'm taking someone through OCD recovery and I'm explaining what anxiety is, I'm explaining uh, what depression is. I'm waiting. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the things I'm good at is saying the same thing in many, many different ways. And at some point they'll take all that information and they'll have a, it literally is like a, a light bulb, a click moment. And they will start forming their recovery mantra that they're going to use. And the mantra if it's not only developed, but work to be believed in, can't be defeated because it's it's made of acceptance. It's made of the bad thing that's making me want to use. I'm just, ma- I am making friends with that. My mantra is helping me make friends with that on an hourly and daily basis. And when you make friends with the bad shit in life, the good shit might just look after itself. Yeah, I think that's a good way. That's a good way to look at it. That's a good, um, I like that. That's really good. Well, look, James, thanks ever so much for um, coming in today. And I think that's uh, it's going to help some people. And it's been really interesting listening. Pleasure, mate. Thank you. People can have a look at your website. What's the website again? www.overthought, as in the overthinking thing, overoverthought.co.uk. Instagram or Facebook or anything? Uh, I haven't got Instagram. It makes my phone go all hot. Yeah. It's like my yeah. phone's got an STI or something, mate. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, and, and I probably need to, like we said before, get it going for business sake. But um, yeah, if you find me just on my website there, you can get to my email through there. And uh, yeah, available to um, do mental health work and, you know, maybe have a decent time doing it as well. Because, yeah. you know what I mean? Why not? Been good chatting today, on it? Fantastic. Thanks, James. That's awesome. Take it easy. Thank you.